Welcome to Golden Gems with Dave Shaw and Bill Hansen. We review each week the career and personal life of one of the great unforgettable artists of the golden days of radio. So please join us on a trip down memory lane as we take a look at today's artist. Then go to our website, www.goldengems.net, where we also look at more of their career and play some of their most unforgettable great hits, which we are unable to share on the podcast. We invite you to join us there also. But for now, sit back and relax as we talk about the life of today's unforgettable artist of the golden days of radio. Welcome back to Golden Gems Podcast. This is Dave Shaw, Bill Hansen, and we're here to talk today about the career and the life of the Andrews sisters. The Andrews sisters were born to Olga, Ollie, and Peter Andres. Mr. Andres, later Andrews, was Greek, and his wife was of Norwegian ancestry, raised in the Lutheran faith. The Solly family disapproved of Olga's marriage, but their relationship was repaired once their first child, Laverne, was born on July 6, 1911. Their second daughter, Angeline, died at eight months of age and on March 16, 1914. Maxine arrived on January 3, 1916, and Patty was born February 16, 1918. Patty, the youngest and the lead singer of the group, was seven when the group was formed and 12 when they won first prize at a talent contest at the local Orpheum Theater in Minneapolis, where Laverne played piano accompaniment for the silent film showings in exchange for free dancing lessons for herself and her sister. Following the collapse of their father's Minneapolis restaurant, the sisters went on the road to support the family. All three attended Franklin Junior High School and North High School, both in Minneapolis. They started their career as imitators of an early successful singing group, the Boswell Sisters, who were popular in the 1930s. After singing with various dance bands and touring in vaudeville with Leon Belasco and his orchestra, comic band leader Larry Rich, they first came to national attention with their recording and radio broadcasts in 1937, most notably via their major Decca record hit, My Beer Miss Duchesne, translated to me, You Are Beautiful, originally a Yiddish tune, the lyrics of which Sammy Kahn had translated to English and which the girls harmonized to perfection. They followed this success with a string of best-selling records over the next two years and became a household name by the 1940s. Instrumental to the sisters' success over the years were their parents Olga and Peter, their orchestra leader and musical arranger Vic Schoen, who lived from 1916 to the year 2000, and Jack and David Cap, who founded Decca Records. In the years just before and during World War II, the Andrews sisters were at the height of their popularity, and the group still tends to be associated in the public's mind with the war years. They had numerous hit records during these years, both on their own and in collaboration with Bing Crosby. Some of these hits had service or military-related themes, including 
Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Three Little Sisters. Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. A hot time in the town of Berlin and rum and Coca-Cola. The sisters perform their hits in service comedy films like Buck Privates and Private Buckaroo. During the war, they entertained the Allied forces extensively in Africa and Italy, as well as in the U.S., visiting Army, Navy, Marine, and Coast Guard bases, war zones, hospitals, and munitions factories. They encourage U.S. citizens to purchase war bonds with a rendition of Irving Berlin's song, Any Bonds Today? They also helped actress Betty Davis and actor John Garfield found California's famous Hollywood Canteen, a welcome retreat for servicemen, where the trio often performed, volunteering their personal time to sing and dance for the soldiers, sailors, and Marines. They did the same at New York City's Stage Door Canteen during the war. While touring, they often treated three random servicemen to dinner when they were dining out. They recorded a series of victory discs, V-discs, for distribution to Allied fighting forces only, again volunteering their time for studio sessions for the Music Branch, Special Service Division of the Army Service Forces. And they were dubbed the Sweethearts of the Armed Forces Radio Service for their many appearances on shows such as Command Performance, Mail Call, and G.I. Journal. The sisters' 1945 hit, Rum and Coca-Cola, became one of their most popular and best-known recordings, but also inspired some controversy. Some radio stations were reluctant to play the record because it mentioned a commercial product by name, and because the lyrics were subtly suggestive of local women prostituting themselves to U.S. servicemen serving at the then naval base on Trinidad. The song was based on a Trinidadian calypso, and a dispute over its provenance led to a well-publicized court case. The sisters later told biographers that they were asked to record the tune on short notice and were unaware either of the copyright issue or the implications of the lyrics. In the 1950s, Patty Andrews decided to break away from the act to be a soloist. She had married the trio's pianist, Walter Weckler, who became the group's manager and demanded more money from Patty. When Maxine and Laverne learned of Patty's decision from the newspaper gossip columns rather than from her own sister, it caused a bitter two-year separation, especially when Patty sued Laverne for a larger share of their parents' estate. Patty attributed the breakup to the death of their parents. We'd been together nearly all our lives, Patty explained in 1971. Then in one year, our dream world ended. Our mother died in 1948, and then our father in 1949. All three of us were upset, and we were at each other's throats all the time. The Andrews sisters formally broke up in 1953. Maxine and Laverne tried to continue the act as a duo, and met with good press during the 10-day tour of Australia, but a reported suicide attempt by Maxine in December of 1954 put a halt to any further tours. Maxine spent a short time in the hospital after swallowing 18 sleeping pills, an occurrence that Laverne told reporters was an accident. 
Maxine and Laverne did appear together on the Red Skelton Show on October 26, 1954, singing the humorous Why Do They Give the Solos to Patty, as well as lip-syncing Beer Barrel Polka with Skelton in drag filling in for Patty. That should have been some sight. <laughs> this, however, did not sit well with Patty, and a cease and desist order was sent to Skelton. The sisters' private relationship was often troubled, and Patty blamed it on Maxine. Ever since I was born, Maxine has been a problem, and that problem hasn't stopped, she said. The trio reunited in 1956 and signed a new recording deal with Capitol Records, for whom Patty was already a featured soloist. By this point, however, rock and roll and doo-wop were dominating the charts, and older artists were left by the wayside. The sisters recorded a dozen singles through 1959, some of which attempted to keep up with the times by incorporating rock sounds. None of these achieved any major success. In addition, they produced three hi-fi albums, including a vibrant LP of songs from the dancing 1920s with Billy Mays Orchestra. In 1962, they signed with Dot Records and recorded a series of stereo albums until 1967, both re-recordings of earlier hits, which incorporated up-to-date production techniques, as well as new material including I Left My Heart in San Francisco, Still, The End of the World, Puff the Magic Dragon, Sailor, Satin Doll, Mr. Baseman, the theme from Come September, and the theme from A Man and a Woman. They toured extensively during the 1960s, favoring top nightclubs in Las Vegas, Nevada, California, and London, England. Eldest sister Laverne died in 1967 at the age of 55 after a year-long bout with cancer, during which she was replaced by singer Joyce DeYoung, Young fulfilled concert appearances, including an appearance on the Dean Martin Show on November 30, 1967, but she did not record with Patty and Maxine. Laverne had founded the original group and often acted as the peacemaker among the three during the sisters' lives, more often siding with her parents, to whom the girls were extremely devoted, than with either of her sisters. Their last appearance together as a trio was on the Dean Martin Show on September 29, 1966. After Laverne died, Maxine and Patty continued to perform periodically until 1968, when Maxine became the Dean of Women at Tahoe Paradise College, teaching acting, drama, and speech at a Lake Tahoe College and working with troubled teens and Patty was once again eager to be a soloist. In 1969, Patty appeared in Lucille Ball's third series, Here's Lucy, in the sixth episode of the second season, titled Lucy and the Andrew Sisters. The episode has Patty enlisting the help of Lucy, her daughter Kim, played by Lucy Arnaz, and her son Craig, Desi Arnaz Jr., to perform a medley of Andrew's sister hits, for the Andrews Sisters fan club reunion. Lucy played Laverne, Kim, the daughter, played Maxine, and Craig, Desiernes Jr., played Bing Crosby. She also had a cameo as herself, along with many other stars, 
in the 1970 film, The Finks. Patty and Maxine's career experienced a resurgence when Bette Midler covered Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy in 1973. The next year, the pair debuted on Broadway in the Sherman Brothers' nostalgic World War II musical, Over Here, which premiered at the Schubert Theater to rave reviews. This was a follow-up to Patty's success in Victory Canteen, a 1971 California review, Over Here, starred Maxine and Patty, with Jannie Schell filling in for Laverne and winning a Tony Award for her performance, and was written with both sisters in mind for the leads. It launched the careers of many now-notable theater, film, and television stars, including John Travolta, Marilou Henner, Treat Williams, and Anne Reinking. It was the last major tour for the sisters, and was cut short owing to a conflict with the show's producer over Pay for the Sisters, resulting in a cancellation of an extensively scheduled road tour. Over Here lasted only a year, and its end marked the last time the sisters would ever sing together. Patty continually distanced herself from Maxine until her death, and would not explain her motives regarding the separation. Maxine appealed to Patty for a reunion, personally, if not professionally, both in public and in private, but to no avail. Maxine suffered a serious heart attack while performing in Illinois in 1982 and underwent quadruple bypass surgery from which successfully recovered. Patty visited her sister while she was hospitalized. Maxine had a successful comeback as a cabaret soloist in 1979 and toured worldwide for the next 15 years, recording a solo album in 1985 entitled Maxine and Andrew's Sister for Brainbridge Records. Patty started her own solo act in 1980, but did not receive the critical acclaim her sister had for her performances, even though Patty was considered to be the star of the group for years. The critics' major complaint was that Patty's show was concentrated too much on Andrew's sister's material, which did not allow Patty's own talents as an expressive and bluesy vocalist to shine through. The two sisters did reunite, albeit briefly, on October 1, 1987, when they received a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame, even singing a few bars of Beer Barrel Polka for the Entertainment Tonight cameras. An earthquake shook the area that very morning, and the ceremony was nearly canceled, which caused Patty to joke. Some people said that earthquake this morning was Laverne because she couldn't be here, but really it was just Maxine and me on the telephone. Besides this, and a few brief private encounters, they remained somewhat estranged for the last few years. Shortly after her off-Broadway debut in New York City, in a show called Swing Time Canteen, Maxine suffered another heart attack and died at Cape Cod Hospital on October 21, 1995, making Patty the last surviving Andrew's sister. Not long before she died, Maxine told music historian William Ruhlman, I have nothing to regret. We got on the carousel and we each got the ring, and I was satisfied with that. There's nothing I could do to change things if I could. 
Yes, I would. I wish I had the ability and the power to bridge the gap between my relationship with my sister Patty. Upon hearing the news of her sister's death, Patty became distraught. Several days later, Patty's husband, Wally, fell down a flight of stairs and broke both wrists. Patty did not attend her sister's memorial services in New York City nor in California. Bob Hope said of Maxine's passing, She was more than a part of the Andrews sisters, much more than a singer. She was a warm and wonderful lady who shared her talent and wisdom with others. A little bit about their personal lives. Laverne Andrews married Lou Rogers, a trumpet player, in Vic Schoen's band in 1948. The two remained together until Laverne's death from cancer on May 8, 1967. Lou died in 1995. The ashes of Laverne's and Maxine Andrews are interred in the Columbarium of Memory of the Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, California, close to the ashes of their parents. Maxine Andrews married music publisher Lou Levy in 1941, separated in 1949. They adopted a girl and a boy, Aleda Ann and Peter. Levy was a sister's manager from 1937 to 1951. Later in life, according to her adopted daughter, with her manager and longtime companion, Linda Wells, Maxine entered a 13-year relationship with a woman and later spent many years as a life partner to Wells herself. To me, being gay was not the central focus of Maxine's life at all. Wells told radio station, the current KCMP, in a 2019 interview. Her art was. Her singing was. But Wells said that their status as companions and Maxine's health issue as she got older led Maxine to adopt her as a daughter. During her lifetime, there was no such thing that existed for us. Patty Andrews married Marty Meckler in 1947 but left him in 1949 when he pursued a romantic relationship with Doris Day. She then married Walter Wetschler, the trio's pianist, in 1951. Patty died of natural causes at her home in Northridge, California, on January 30, 2013, at the age of 94. Wetschler, her husband of nearly 60 years, had died on August 28th, 2010, at the age of 88. Well, they left quite a legacy. The Andrews sisters were the most imitated of all female singing groups and influenced many artists, including Mel Torme, Les Paul and Mary Ford, the Four Freshmen, the Supremes, the Beach Boys, and the McGuire sisters, the Lennon sisters, and the Pointer sisters the Dutch girl group, the Star Sisters, with Patricia Pay, the Manhattan Transfer, Barry Manilow, the Beverly Bells, and Bette Midler. Elvis Presley was a fan. The imitation occurred internationally. The Harmony Sisters, a popular group that performed from the 1930s to the 1950s in Finland, was one such singing group. While the sisters specialized in traditional pop, swing, boogie-woogie, and novelty hits with their trademark lightning-quick vocal syncopations, 
They also produce major hits in jazz, ballads, folk, country, seasonal, and religious titles. Being the first Decca artist to record an album of gospel standards in 1950, their versatility allowed them to pair with many different artists in the recording studios, producing top ten hits with the likes of Bing Crosby, the only recording artist of the 1940s to sell more records than the Andrews Sisters, Danny Kaye, Dick Hames, Carmen Miranda, Al Jolson, Ray McKinley, Burl Ives, Ernest Tubb, Red Foley, Dan Daly, Alfred Apaka, and Les Paul. In personal appearances on radio and on television, they sang with everyone from Rudy Valley, Judy Garland, and Nat King Cole, to Jimmy Rogers, Andy Williams, and the Supremes. Some of the trio's late 1930s recordings have noticeable Boswell Sisters vocal influences. The Andrews Sisters' harmonies and songs are still influential today and have been copied and recorded by entertainers such as Patti Page, Bette Midler, Christina Aguilera, Pentatonix, and others. The group was among the inaugural inductees to the Vocal Group Hall of Fame upon its opening in 1998. Writing for Bloomberg, Mark Shoafit said the sisters became the most popular female vocal group of the first half of the 20th century. They are still widely acclaimed today for their famous close harmonies. They were inducted into the Minnesota Rock Country Hall of Fame in May of 2006. A remarkable career and a remarkable group of sisters, even though they had their problems, like many families do. They were such a great influence on uh, the World War II and in stage and mainly with their music. What a, what a wonderful group of gals they were. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. And if you'd like to hear more of the music, we invite you to go to our webcast at www.goldengems.net and listen to more narrative on their lives and listen to some of their amazing, wonderful hits. Dave and Bill saying thank you for being with us today. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you're having as much enjoyment as we are, reliving some of the unforgettable memories of the golden days of radio. To learn more about the career of today's artists and listen to several of their greatest hits, we invite you to go to our website, www.goldengems.net. May we also encourage you to tell your friends about the show. We'd love to have them join us in these little trips down memory lane. And as always, we invite your feedback or comments on goldengemsradio at gmail.com. So until next episode, this is Dave and Bill heading back into the archives to dust off some more unforgettable memories to share with you on Golden Gems. 